please stand with me as I read God's Word. And this will be an example of a passage uh, that we deal with in the counseling class on how to properly, uh, lovingly deal with a, a brother or sister that has a different viewpoint on different uh, subjects, uh, depending on Christian liberty issues and everything. These are good guidelines of practical application of God's Word in our everyday life. And the emphasis here is on the proper attitude and Christ-likeness that we have when holding different points of view on various topics. Well, I'll be reading in Romans 14, beginning in verse 13, down through chapter 15, verse 7. Well, Paul is writing here in Romans under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord, that nothing is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for the person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ has died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and the joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink or wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. He, or we who are strong, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Open our Bibles once again, this time to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 12 and 13. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be considering eternally significant service. Eternally significant service. Large building projects require many workers with a variety of different skills. Connie and I have enjoyed lately walking through a new neighborhood that's going in next to ours and watching the various houses in that neighborhood uh, going up. 
And a lot has to happen, and we're reminded of that as we see step by step uh, a house being built. One crew is responsible for repair or preparing the ground, the, the lot. Another will lay the foundation, and then another crew will tie in the utilities. Someone else will build the frame. Others will lay the brick, install doors, siding, windows, and so on. Each of the specialists in those on those crews will have many helpers. And then there are people to oversee all of that work at different levels. And so it's amazing to watch a house rise up from the bare ground. And just casually walking by as we do, there is a lot of work that we don't see that happens, especially the interior work. Uh, we know that it does happen. You see eventually when people move in and they turn the lights on and you can see in their windows and a lot went on that we never saw. <clears throat> the temple of God is... that that The temple that God is building is like all of that. There are some people who lead the work and coordinate the work and some are specialists and then there are the many unseen helpers. But they all are vital to the work. Every one of us is vital to the construction of God's eternal temple. So what we're looking at today is this. Christ gives gifts to His servant people, employing them all, employing them all in significant service. That's kind of the key idea here. In employing them in significant service as He constructs His eternal temple. We've seen that this is also called doing the work of ministry. And you may not think that changing diapers in the nursery or doing one of those many, many jobs that goes unseen, kind of working in the background, that that contributes to building God's temple. I doubt that, you know, you ladies, you're changing a diaper. You probably aren't thinking, wow, I'm building the kingdom here. I'm building God's temple. You probably don't think that, but you are. Each role is more important than you might think. Each role is eternally significant. Well, maybe you wonder, am I too broken to be used to build God's eternal temple, that holy temple? Am I too broken for that? Well, Ed Welch gives hope. He said this, God uses messed up people, and that's a great word, right, or a great phrase, now, that's us. God uses messed up people for His service. It makes Him look even better. If God only used perfect people, of which there are none, it would undermine His plan to do powerful work through very ordinary ones, us. You see, so the fact that He uses broken people... <clears throat> means that all the glory is going to go to Him, which is where it belongs. You may also wonder, after we've been talking for weeks now about spiritual gifts, how how do I determine what mine is? And you may wonder, well, how do I figure that out? Well, Jerry Bridges describes it as just trying on different roles, and I like the way he puts that. Get involved. You see a need or an opportunity, jump in and help. 
Work alongside someone in their ministry. Somebody who's already doing something, get, come alongside say, hey, can I join you in that and, and just see how that goes and see if God uses me in that. And watch how God uses you. That's how you discover your gifts. And, you know, you might not even see it at first. And the real critical test is, does the church see that? Does the church recognize it? And, you know, somebody can say, you know, oh, I'd love to teach. And, you know, and if they don't have the gift, the church is going to say, well, no, I'm not being benefited. I'm not being helped. But when, you know, and, and those of us who do teach, you know, we may wonder, okay, is this really, you know, helping anybody? Well, they tell you. And, and so you hear the feedback that, oh, God used that in my life. That's how you discover your gifts. Get involved. Well, over the last few weeks here, we've seen how Jesus gave certain gifts to the saint. We saw that sent to the saints. We saw that in verses 11 and the first part of 12. Then we looked at how Jesus' initial goal is for saints to do the work of ministry. That's the first goal that he has. But that goal is going to build toward an ultimate goal. And that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus' ultimate goal is to build up the body of Christ. And so follow with me as I read the the verses before us here. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. Talking about Jesus. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So in the work of ministry, what is our goal? Are we just doing busy work? Are we doing it just, well, somebody's got to do it and it's got to happen? Is that all it is? What's our goal? The ultimate goal is the building up of the body of Christ. And we're going to see in these verses today that Paul's going to use two different images and he kind of pulls them together. The first one I'm going to talk about here in a minute is that image of a building, but then there's also going to be the image of a body. And and so we're going to see, and he's going to tie those together, building up the body of Christ. Remember, we saw in Ephesians 2.21, in that section there where Paul is talking about how God is building his temple, and he has brought together Jew and Gentile, and he's brought them together into this one building that that he is constructing, he is building, and it is his eternal temple. That's what he's alluding to here. He's he's picking that up again from chapter 2. And this building is no ordinary structure. Because what God is building is alive and growing. Okay? Now, we can be thankful that, unlike, you know, some of the uh, you know, kids' movies and stuff like that, this, this building, this house is not moving and it's not alive and it's not growing. And, you know. But the one God is building is alive and it is growing. Another fascinating thing about it is that the building materials are believers, us. Okay, where are the building materials? Peter said that we are living stones who are being built up as a spiritual house in 1 Peter 2. So we're the building materials. Believers are the building materials. But we're also the workers. Like, well, that's a strange idea, right? I mean, you don't ever see that. So going back to, you know, when we go for our walks and in that new neighborhood near us, we we will see that they'll have a, a lot that they're preparing and leveling everything, and and then next thing you know, a, 
a, a pile of bricks shows up and a stack of lumber shows up and, and different building materials show up. And, and I'm going to play with this a little bit because I want us to see how fascinating this is. And it'll be a little silly, but to, that'll help us see how fascinating what he's doing is. And hopefully it'll stick in our brains and we'll be m- motivated to do his work. So let's say that you walk by a construction site like that and and you see these different materials that have already been laid out there. And all of a sudden, the, the bricks, and they have little arms and little legs on them, and they hop up and they grab hammer and nails and they start you know, building the frame of this house. You know, the foundation already laid. So the bricks are doing the work. And then you see two-by-fours hop up off the pile of lumber and they start hanging sheetrock. Okay? And then... You know, the house is going, coming along, and this you're just kind of like, wow, this is fascinating. And then, you know, the, the, the frame of the roof goes up, and, and so then they start throwing the, you know, bales of, of uh, shingles up there. Do you call them bales? What are they, just big bundles? bundles. Thank you. I couldn't think of what. Bundles of, of shingles thrown up there. And then, you know, the, the sinks and, and the faucets jump, climb up there, and, and they're putting shingles up. Okay, this is a strange picture, right? Well, for God's temple, the building materials are also the construction workers. That's why I went down that little funny road there for a minute, because this is a strange image. The the building materials are the workers, we are the materials. We are the workers. And I want to go back to what we were, uh, that Ed Welch quote for just a second. So picture yourself as one of the bricks, okay? And so you're going to, you're eventually going to be part of the building, but you also are building the building. But you're a brick that's broken, right? And you're in pieces. But still, I mean, this is fantasy, so we can do whatever we want with it, right? So, okay, so this, you, the broken brick, you kind of pull all your broken parts together and, and you get busy with your hammer and nails and you're building that frame. Okay, but what happens over time, as you are doing that work, God is busy restoring you. And so you, in pieces, that brick, start coming together and being mended and so that you one day will be perfectly whole the way God had intended you to be. And then at that time, what happens is then another worker reaches down and grabs you and puts you on as part of the brick wall. Now, you, one of the workers, are also the materials used. So... Do you do you get that? I mean, yeah, we had a little fun there for a minute, but that's really what that's what God is doing. We are the stacks of materials, and we're the workers. Well, you know, some architects will leave their name on a great building that they've designed. Why do they do that? Well, they hope for a legacy. They want everybody to know who built that famous building. Your legacy, O believer, will one day be that you get to enjoy and behold the glorious temple you helped build and you are a part of. 
And, you know, John gave us uh, an image of it that God gave him as, you know, the New Jerusalem. And, and so that's, that's his take on this imagery. And one day we're going to see it and, you know, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but these writers of Scripture have given us some ideas and we can start using our imaginations like, this is going to be glorious. And it's not that we're going to stand back and say, wow, somebody did a nice thing. They did a good job. You say, God used me. I mean, I was that broken brick and I was in a million pieces. And He used me to help build the, this temple. And oh, by the way, and I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'm part of that temple. So I'm you know, part of the wall on one side. But yet, in some way, I can look at how, okay, look, God used me and I can't believe He used me. That will be your legacy, believer. Your labor helps build your local church first. And then that work is used in building God's eternal temple. Because our, our, our church is a small part of the bigger temple that He is building. What I want you to take away from that is your work has eternal significance. Don't ever look down on, oh, all I can do is. No, God, say, God is using me this way and this way. So, to bring out the personal nature of the building, and we've been doing that a little bit with, with the imagery, but Paul gives us that second way to envision it. It's not just a building, but what he's building, you know, got, he's playing with both you know, the, the noun and the verb, okay, <clears throat> from chapters 2 and 4 here. He's building the body of Christ, God's eternal temple is also the body of Christ. It is the church. And this image is going to be what he will use uh, throughout uh, the rest of our discussion. Okay, the, the body of Christ. That's what he is building. Okay, look at verse 13. So this building is going to happen, the, the, the building work, the construction work is going to happen until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, that's a mouthful, isn't it? You had a bunch of phrases there, and it's like, okay, are they all the same, saying the same thing different ways, or are they, are they all, is it three or four different things? Well, first, what he's saying is that Jesus is going to continue giving spiritual gifts to his church until... His ultimate goal is achieved. Some of those have already fulfilled their purpose and they're done. But as we've seen, we've looked at, there's still many gifts that are in existence today that he still gives to his church until this ultimate goal is achieved. That means that our work is ongoing. As long as he's giving gifts, we have to be using them. Okay? Our work keeps going. It's Our work is... is Bringing the church to maturity, fortifying its unity. Why? Well, you think about it. I mean, we're never, our church and, and no other church is ever going to come to the place where we're like, okay, we're done and we can just kind of sit back and relax and just kind of enjoy it. Not this side of glory. We have, have worked it. I mean, think about all the different reasons and just a few of those as, as new people are coming in, as new people are saved, okay? They, they need to be built up, right? And then those of us who've been a part of it for a while, we all still have weaknesses. 
remember, we're still bricks that are broken and God's still in the process of mending us, you know, redeeming us and restoring us. And so we need our weaknesses strengthened. And so the work must go on. Assaults on our unity and our doctrine will continue. And so the work must continue. So who does the work? Well, we've said all along here, Paul just says, we all. Okay, that's every one of us. We all are to be doing this work. And we're doing it hoping to attain a goal. We're we're working toward a goal. This word attain, it means to arrive at a destination. Luke uses it a lot of different times in Acts when he's talking about missionary teams and how they're traveling, sometimes on foot, sometimes by ship, and they're traveling to either a particular city and they arrive at that city or they're on a ship and they arrive at a port. There was a destination that they had in mind, and they they set out for that. And then he uses this word to say they arrived. It can also be used figuratively for attaining a goal. And you can see the picture is real easy to jump from, you know, arriving at a city and arriving at your goal, right? Or attaining your goal. And, And that's how Paul is using it here. So we have a great picture to help us understand what he's talking about. So think about our work that we're doing here. It's like we're... You know, on a trip, and we're traveling to a particular destination that has been set out for us. And what we're talking about here is what is that destination? And he gives us different ways of looking at it. So we are working to attain this goal. So what will we see as we move toward this goal? What will it look like? So Paul now is going to use three phrases to help us understand the ultimate goal. These are like three facets of the same diamond. You know, a a diamond, once the the jewelers or people have cut this so that it's now beautiful and it brings out all that diamond's beauty, there are different facets, different faces and sides of the diamond, and each one of them has its own beauty. And so it's like taking a diamond and, and he's showing us three sides of that. The diamond is the goal, the ultimate goal. This building up of the body, what we are, what Jesus is shooting for and what we are shooting for. Well, this first facet of the diamond is actually in two parts. And that's what, part of what makes verse 13 a little confusing sometimes, okay? So there's, there's, looks like two pieces, but they're really part of the same one. We'll talk about that now. We are to have a twofold unity, is what he's talking about here. And remember, unity is like-mindedness. It doesn't mean we're exactly the same, but we are like-minded. Like-minded in what? Well, first, we must have unity in the faith. This isn't our faith as in believing in Jesus. This is what we believe about Jesus. This is what we put our trust in. This is the content of the truth, the faith. Uh, Jude in Jude 3 said, it is the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. This is the truth of the gospel that pastors preach and teachers teach. Okay, so thinking again on those gifts. This is that truth. This is what they are working with. And it is also what contrasts with false doctrine. Look at verse 14. We're not going to go there today, but just to touch on it, you can see some contrasts between verses 13 and 14. 
So he says, as a result, in other words, if we as we attain these things, as we move toward that goal, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. And so this is the contrast to that. This is the faith. This is the body of doctrine, truth, that is the gospel and all that goes with that. Not only, though, are we to have a work toward unity of the faith, but also unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Again, another mouthful. It's like, what does that mean? Well, first, as we break it down, the word knowledge here is epinosis. We've seen that before a number of times. You know, gnosis is the normal word for, uh, Greek word for knowledge. Epinosis intensifies it. <clears throat> epinosis here is a deep personal relationship. And it's a deep personal relationship with the Son of God, okay, with Jesus. We learned about that. Remember back in Philippians 3, verses 8 through 11, Paul there said, he talked about the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not just knowing about Him, not just being able to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and say, okay, I know Him. No, it's a deep personal relationship. And, and so he says, what he strives for is that, that I may know Him. I mean, Paul was the one giving us, you know, a huge chunk of this truth about Jesus. So he's talking about more than just an academic understanding of Jesus. It's a deep personal relationship. And that's what part of the unity is, this twofold unity. How incredible is it that Jesus gives us gifts to help us develop such a deep personal relationship? Right? We were talking about in Sunday school, the king, who the one king in all of history who gave. And that's, that's how he operated. He gave. He didn't take. He just gave. Well, here's the king. He's, he's giving gifts. Remember we studied earlier in chapter 4? He's giving gifts to his people. Okay? Because he's a giving king. He's a victorious king who blesses his people and he gives them gifts. And he says, okay, I, I want you to know me. I want you to have this deep personal relationship with me. You know, and sometimes you know, I'll hear people say, and you see it sometimes maybe in movies or something, and, you know, they're, they're, a couple isn't getting along, and, you know, and, and one of them says, well, I, I, I just, I don't know. And the other one will say, well, if you loved me, you'd know. Right? Hopefully you've never said that. You might have, but that that's not true. Just loving someone doesn't mean you're going to know them. They have to reveal themselves to you. They have to tell you. They have to give you the, the ability to know them. Because the, the them you want to know is on the inside. You can't see that. You get to see little bits and pieces of, you know, by the way they respond. But you still don't know them. It's like I always use kind of a silly illustration, but, you know, how do you know what someone's favorite color is? You know, you might say, well, the color they normally wear. Well, that's not necessarily true. Maybe that's, you know, somebody who likes that color gives them the, those clothes and buys their clothes for them. No, you ask them, right? That's how you know. Okay, so Jesus wants us to know Him. And He wants us to have this deep personal relationship with Him. And so what He does is He says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you gifts to help you know Me. 
And so as you all work together and you use those gifts together, you will come to know me in a much deeper relationship. And then, of course, it builds toward that twofold unity. As a church, we grow in unity around gospel truth first, unity in the faith. And then second, unity in a corporate unity in our relationship with Jesus. And so there's this tight connection between Jesus and His church, right? And that's what He's trying to drive home here, one of the things. It's not that we each merely have a bunch of individual personal relationships with Jesus. We do have that. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians 3. What he's talking about here is you take all of that together and you put all of us together and we together have a personal relationship with Jesus. So we, GBC, have a personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, He is related to this church as well as being related to each believer in this church. Okay, So that's a part of that unity. right? It's not only a unity in the gospel and around the gospel, But it's a unity in the relationship that we all together have collectively with Jesus. And part of what I want us to get out of this is to see that what Paul's doing in Ephesians is making us realize that the idea, the fantasy of a uh, Lone Ranger Christian is a fantasy. It's make-believe. It's not a real thing. Oh, I know so-and-so. No, you don't. Because it, it has to happen within the body. You see, that's it. Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have to be a part of a church. I can just, you know, be out there on my own and I can read the Bible and I can grow. I can read theology and all that. Now, your head might grow, but your relationship to Jesus isn't going to grow. It's got to happen here as a part of the whole. And that's what he's trying to drive home in Ephesians is the, the corporate idea of our relationship to Christ. Okay, so that the first was the first facet of the diamond was unity. Now the second is maturity. Second facet of the diamond is for us to attain to a mature man. Mature is from the same word we discussed in 1 Corinthians 13:10 recently, remember teleos. Okay? Uh, it doesn't refer to the idea of perfection but rather completion, maturity, being full-grown as an adult. And you might remember we were studying there about those temporary gifts and Paul talking about how some of them are going to end. And he uses that illustration comparing the child, the early days of the church, with those temporary gifts and compares that with the adult, which is where we're at now, that adult stage. We have everything we need now to do the work of ministry, right? Okay, so... He, he does that again here. He shows a contrast between not only adult and child, or, or not only there does he do it, but he also does that here. And here he changes the word a little bit. He says, this is, we're working toward an adult man because he's comparing it to like a, a, a child, a boy, that's a boy. Okay, he's just, that's his illustration. He's going to con- contrast this with children in the next verse. We saw that when we read verse 14. You see, so it's the idea of completion, of reaching adulthood, if you will. Okay, that's what this idea of mature is referring to. So, this man is not referring to individual believers, but it's referring to 
the church, and it's singular, to an adult man. We saw the same kind of image in uh, Ephesians 2.15. Jew and Gentile are being brought together into what? One new man. Okay? So he's using the singular here, that this is that corporate idea, and he's bringing us all together and shows we're part of the one corporate whole. So the emphasis is on the whole, it is on the church, but we don't lose sight of the individual because he just said we all. See, we're part of that whole. So the individual is important and the corporate is important. You can't have just one without the other. Okay, Like there can't be a Lone Ranger Christian, there's not going to be just this concept of a church and, and no emphasis at all on individuals. I mean, there are churches out there church in name only, that they they have no concept of, of an individual relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. They To them, it is just this, this whole, you know, so we come and we, we are part of the society, but there's I don't have a relationship to Jesus. It's just we kind of do as a church. Well, that, that's not biblical, okay? You have to have both. And Paul here is emphasizing the whole without losing the individual. So the individual, each individual grows toward maturity as a part of the church. The gifts are given to grow the church. The gifts are not given to grow the individual. They're given to grow the church. Okay, And the individuals grow because they're part of the church. Okay, Does that make sense? Individual people, as part of that church, will grow as part of the whole. That's where his emphasis is. Each assembly needs to grow in maturity so that it can withstand the assaults of those deceitful schemes that we looked at just briefly in verse 14. We have to continually grow in order to withstand those. Because there's always going to be these assaults. All the way up until Jesus returns, there's going to be these assaults on the church. And every church is going to feel them. And so, we have to keep growing in order to withstand them. How can we know if the church is growing? What does he tie maturity to? Unity. Remember, we just talked about that. That was the first facet of the diamond. And so, we would say, when we experience improving unity, is when we are growing. It's not head count. That's one way of looking at growth, but the growth he's talking about here isn't headcount. It is growing in maturity and unity. And especially in in the midst of threats to that unity. Immaturity and disunity go together just like maturity and unity go together. Okay? And Satan will do everything he can to threaten our unity. And he's going to get to that at the end of chapter 6, right? We must work to preserve it. The third facet of this diamond. Look at verse 13 again at the end. And you may have scratched your head on this one. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And there's a lot there, right? Okay, I'm going to try to give you the, the main idea of what he's talking about. So this third and final facet of the ultimate goal of us serving with our gifts is this. It's so that the church will arrive at the measure of Christ's full stature. That will attain or arrive at the measure of Christ's full stature. Remember, 
The church is Christ's body. And we are then to work toward becoming fully like Him. The entire body of Christ, we all will one day measure up to the full stature of Christ. We all together. Okay, No person, no human being that's not Jesus, can ever measure up fully to Christ. None of us ever will, even in glory. We will not be fully like Christ in that sense. I mean, we will be like Him in character, but not. we're not going to be a duplicate of Him. We can't. We're not eternal. We're not infinite, right? And so, or, you know, not, I didn't mean to use the word eternal. We're not infinite like He is. So all of us together are going to measure up to His fullness. At that time, the entire church in heaven will be full-grown as a mature person. And so Jesus is the standard by which the church is measured. He's the standard that we strive for. So looking at the next slide, you get an idea. The, the first outline uh, image there is the, 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 the stature, Christ's stature. This is you know, who He is, okay? Everything that represents Him, it is that, okay? And that's why it's an outline, right? It's not filled in yet. So that's the, if you were to measure Christ in a sense, that's what He's talking about. What is the measure? And so what happens is that throughout the, the church age, while He's growing His church, the church is growing. In other words, we're filling up. And that's why He uses the word fullness here. You see, so earlier in the church at some point, and I'm not going to put any dates on this, okay, because I have no idea really what, what percent we are, because I have no idea when He's coming back, okay? So, you know, you've got the, the second image where uh, there's, there's that, you know, he's, it's filling up, right? And then you get a little bit further and it's filling up more, okay? And then eventually the church will have measured up to his full stature. So all of us together will measure up to that full stature of Christ. And that's what we're working toward, okay? That's where all the, the individual churches throughout history com, are, are building toward that one body of Christ, right? Now, some people think that this maturing or the maturity, reaching maturity, is at the end of time. It's the eternal state. And it is true that the maturing process will be completed by then, okay, by the time Jesus returns or in the eternal state, whatever your eschatology, it will be completed by then. But that can't be what talk, Paul's talking about. Why? Because in the following verses, he's going to talk about why we need this. We need it right now. Why? Because... He wants to prevent us from being tossed about and carried about or carried away by false doctrine, by people's trickery. Okay, those are not going to be dangers in the eternal state. So he's not building us now so that in the eternal state we can stand against false doctrine and against trickery. No, we need it right now. We won't need it then. And so what he's talking about now is that we are seeing this maturing process happening so that a church gets to the place where it can stand against false doctrine. And its people can stand against the, the schemes of, of those who would try to deceive them. Our church can and should grow toward maturity in the here and now. Now, we're not going to arrive at completion. We're not going to be fully there 
this side of glory. But that's what we aim for. Okay, so you may wonder, how how does work like caring for babies in the nursery have eternal significance for building God's temple? You may wonder that. I, mean, I still can't see it, John. You said that earlier, but I don't see it. Well, let me give you just one example, and you can extrapolate this to any kind of service, right, that you might do. One way, one way to visualize the significance of that service is to think about how you're, if you're working in the nursery, your service is allowing a mom or a dad to be uh, in Sunday school, adult Sunday school, or to be here in worship, and to be able to worship God and pay attention to His Word without distraction. You know, and, and if, if parents can't do that, without distraction. It doesn't matter how hard the worship leaders work at preparing our, our singing time. It doesn't matter how hard the preacher puts into the sermon, how, how much work he puts into it. doesn't matter. Because if they can't do it undistracted, they're going to miss it. And so that's one example of how your service can provide, in this case, moms and dads the chance to worship and to learn undistracted. And you see, that helps build the church. And there's lots of different kinds of roles to be involved in. That's just one that can help us visualize your significance. So don't ever think that, well, all I do is, you know, I, I call people to encourage them or send them a note to encourage them or, or you know, I pray you know, more maybe than, than the average because that's that's what I can do. Those things all have eternal significance. They build, they help build the church. A church's unity, as we come to the Lord's Supper, I want to think again on unity because th- this is one of the reasons we do this is for our unity. We come together, we gather figuratively around the, the table, if you will. A church's unity will be regularly attacked. And that's why the unity of the faith is crucial. The, the gospel, right? If we don't have the gospel, we're not going to have any real unity. Not biblically. And so we do this weekly to remind us that we all need to gather around the cross and cling to that cross. Cling to the gospel. Cling to Christ. That's why we come to the table. We are always to come back to Christ and cling to Him.